Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I do have a comment on actually last week's program, so I thought I'd read it. It says, Hi, JBL. Washington, and he's speaking here of George Washington, Washington thought highly of James Madison in framing the Constitution and Bill of Rights, having him over to Mount Vernon numerous times and as a close advisor. Madison was highly educated and knew about government, but when Madison took to party politics with Thomas Jefferson, forming the Democratic-Republican Party and seeking states' rights over the new nation, Washington saw his character and had nothing to do with him. Washington hated party politics because of the division and potential destruction of the new nation he helped start. Madison never went to Mount Vernon again. And that is from a listener in the state of Indiana. So that's that's all very interesting. And I know I introduced that concept that, that Washington did not like the two-party system. And uh, if we have time today, uh, we'll get through it either today or we'll get through it next time. So how well do you know George Washington? Now, he is often referred to as the founding father of the United States. Is it important for you to get to know him? Should you be interested in the principles he lived by? If you really look out at society and if you pay attention to what's really going on in this country, and we talked about Judge Kavanaugh last program, and of course he was confirmed, and I suspected he would be. But there, there is a, this growing foment of dissent in this country. And there is a growing number of people in this nation that believe you should not know George Washington or the other founding fathers of this country. They see Washington and people like Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. They see them as a group of privileged white men who have been dead for over two centuries and know nothing of our present situation. Now, I just want to say that I heartily disagree with that opinion, and I encourage you to stick with this series. Now, there is much George Washington's life can teach us. In fact, in preparing this series, I am getting to know the man George Washington. I'm enthralled by what I'm learning. I have to admit it. I, I, I do not know George Washington and, uh, you know, all my life I've heard, you know, from history classes that he's a founding father and he's an important figure in America. But I really never studied into it. And, uh, in fact, I put, uh, I put the, these programs on the same pro- – uh, maybe the same platform as Winston Churchill's. There are changes in my life that I want to make after having read what I've been reading about George Washington. There are changes I can make. I felt the same way about Winston Churchill. And in fact, his life is very similar to that of Winston Churchill. And what I'll do during this series is I'll draw the parallels for you as we go through it. 
Now, for today's program, what I want to do is I want to just continue my introduction of George Washington because you probably don't know him. Uh, you're like like me. I didn't know him, and uh, uh, you know it, it's really it's really quite fascinating. Now, last time I did end the program with some facts about his education. And I would like you to remember that he was, for the most part, homeschooled. And it is somewhat different from the way we do homeschooling today. Now, on page six of his book, Paul Johnson tells us that it had been the tradition of his father, Gus, to send George's older half-brothers, and they were Augustus and Lawrence, back to England to Appleby. Now, Appleby was considered the best school in England at that time. Now, this means that Well, Gus was rich enough to do that at one time, but he did not send George back to Appleby. And it was most likely for financial reasons. Remember, um, George was uh, the firstborn of Gus's second wife. Remember, his first wife had died. And so essentially, he had two families. And you can see that with a a big family like that, it would probably be uh, financially hard to send um, your oldest son by the second marriage, by the way, you know, back to England for education. But this does not mean that George Washington was uneducated. Now, there even some of his peers declared at the time that he was uneducated. Now, of course, um, you know, George Washington was a man of a lot of principles. He was had a very strong character, and he he uh, was a man that firmly believed in what he was doing and how to go about it. And so you can see that they were just kind of picking on him at the time. And we'll talk about this here now a little bit. I want to read to you from Paul Johnson about this whole thing in his education. I think it's it's worth, it's worth uh, uh, reviewing because it, it, in some ways it's, it's, uh, it factors into this whole attitude of, uh, you know, let's not pay any attention to, to privileged white men. And uh, But listen to this. This is page 8, and this is the bottom of the page 8. And he's talking about this whole idea of, of education. And, of course, he, he says that his dad even probably named him after George II. And remember, the family did have connections with the royalty back in England. But in terms of education, he said, Instead, Washington was educated within the family or on the estate by one Henry Williams. So it's not like uh, Gus Washington had the Abeka program to work from. <laughs> you know, they actually brought in a tutor or a special, uh, you know, instructor for George. It says, his notebooks and the evidence of the schoolmasters show that in addition to English grammar, he did arithmetic, bookkeeping, geography, geometry, trigonometry, and surveying. Listen to this. This is important, uh, especially... Um, for all of you college instructors out there where your students handwrite their quizzes or their tests. His handwriting, this is George Washington's handwriting, his handwriting became and remained copybook clear and readable, the neatest of that of any of the founding fathers. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams dismissed him as largely uneducated. Now, there's a reason for that, is Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were probably educated at better schools. Uh, We also know they were probably into Rousseau and the philosophers of that time. But actually, um, George Washington was not. 
He wasn't into Rousseau and the philosophy. Now, he was very well read. Uh, in fact, he read Joseph Addison. And uh, Joseph Addison's play Cato was probably one of his favorites. And it was about establishing a republic. And he also read uh, Alexander Pope, who was probably one of the wittiest poets of that time. And so so it's not like he was uneducated. He just was not into, well, let's say maybe the really scholarly philosophy. But listen to this. He says, this is talking about George Washington again. He says, by his death, he had accumulated a library of 734 books, all of which he had bought himself, read, consulted, or dipped into. His formal education was severely practical, but well assimilated. Like his younger contemporary Napoleon Bonaparte, Washington was an excellent mathematician with a positive gift for logistics. His accounts were always reliable. In other words, his financial accounts were always reliable. And in parentheses, he puts, unlike Jefferson's, which, though copious, often did not add up or make any sense. And so... So Jefferson may have been well better educated, but he was not very, uh, you know, let's say, practical with his money. When John Adams sneered, that Washington, this is a quote, when John Adams sneered, that Washington was not a scholar, was certain that he was too illiterate, unread, unlearned for his station is equally past dispute. He misled everyone. And so, so here, uh, you know, John Adams just misled everyone about Washington. Johnson goes on, Washington's education was in fact well suited, as it turned out, for both civilian and military life. Learning, surveying, and geography meant that, like Bonaparte, he became an expert map reader, an accomplishment few senior officers in any country possessed, and his logistical skills acquired in youth meant he ran his far-flung estates when he was there, as well as his ragtag army with growing success defeating a world power in the field, and ending up one of the dozen richest landowners in the country. And so so remember, even Winston Churchill, if you remember back to our series, people, you know, mocked him and made fun of him. Chamberlain, you know, the, 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 uh, the guys that he actually uh, outdid and uh, uh, was so much better in moral character, they criticized Churchill. And, uh, you know, Churchill knew he had some flaws in his education, and uh, but he worked to change that. And George Washington was the same way. He did not believe he was maybe as well-educated as Jefferson and Adams, and I think it bothered George Washington. But he wasn't uneducated. A man that buys 734 books, I'll tell you, that's a man after my own heart. <laughs> you know, I... I uh, I love books. I love buying books. I love investigating books. If uh, if I ever I get an hour to myself, I go to a bookstore and I just look at books. And uh, you know, there's there's a lot to be said about a person that likes books. And uh, uh, George Washington built a library, and at that time, uh, you know, there were not that many bookstores in America, and. Uh, to buy 734 books was a significant investment because they had to be brought from England. And so so uh, it, this is really, you know, something really, really very 
fascinating about him. And I think as we go through this, I can show you and and I think I can prove to you that, uh, that George Washington was a very, very educated man. And uh, certainly he was uh, educated in virtue and morals. And we'll talk about that as we go through this. Um, <clears throat> the next big point I want to talk about is after his education. Let's talk a little bit about his military career. Now, we're not going to go into a lot of details about it because I want to devote several programs to the Revolutionary War. But uh, if you remember last time I talked about some facts from the you know, biography.com, facts from Mental Floss, and then um, let's see, there was, uh, I think there was biography online. So we're going to go back to some of these things. And, and here's what Mental Floss you know, says about George Washington. And it's something that we don't think about probably often enough. This is number 17 in their their paper or their online um, uh, biography of him. Uh, it's 25 things you probably don't know about George Washington. It's interesting. I'm not going to cover all of them, but I think it would be interesting for you. But number 17 is, before fighting the British, he fought for the British. <laughs> and that's really true. We have to remember that that George Washington, people like George Washington or the founding fathers like George Washington – even Ben Franklin, they consider themselves English, Englishmen. They consider themselves English gentlemen. And actually, Ben Franklin and George Washington had no desire to separate from England until England really pushed it. And uh, uh, Ben Franklin, if you remember from, from previous programs we've discussed, is that Ben Franklin began to realize there was an American mind, there was an American spirit being developed, and it needed to be separate from England. And, of course, uh, you know, on uh, the Trumpet Daily and and some other programs that we have, certainly uh, the Key of David program, uh, we know that that uh, really out of England came two nations, and we know it gets all the way back to the patriarch Joseph. You know, he, he, uh, he had two sons, and his father... Israel named his own name on these two sons, and one of the sons was to become a commonwealth of nations, and one of the grandsons was to become, well, the greatest nation on earth. And that's the only way you can explain what what, ha- what happened in England and what happened in the United States. So, you know, God was behind this big separation. But uh, uh, let's talk now about his, his military career. And one thing that that we have to see that that he was a military man really at a very early age you know in his his late teens and 20s now uh remember he did fight in the French and Indian war now that's that's going back in history <laughs> and uh you know i have to admit uh, you know history has not been my my forte or my big uh, interest in life. It's it's kind of gotten that way uh, as I've gotten older. But, uh, you know, I don't remember a lot of facts from my American history. But uh, in the early 1750s, if you remember, France and Britain were at peace. And, uh, of course, the, you know, both the French and the British were on the North American continent. And so, uh, obviously, there was going to come a time when when the two were going to clash. 
and they actually clashed in the Ohio Valley. Now, I, I grew up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is not very far from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is not really that far from the Ohio Valley. So, so we knew that, um, you know, that these things happened. And uh, even when I was at the uh, University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, the, the park that I had to, um, you know, walk through to get to, to, get to class, um, you know, uh, it, it was um, ancient. Um, I guess I, I, could, I could say it that way, or old. It was an old military area actually from the French and Indian War. And so I would pass the, these uh, monuments from the French and Indian War, even uh, when going back and forth to classes. But but uh, let, let's just uh, I'm going to just talk a little bit from, um, let's say this this biography. Um, the, the, it's it's called the George Washington biography biography, and it's it's from biography.com. And so, so let me just read this to you. It says, In the early 1750s, France and Britain were at peace. However, the French military had begun occupying much of the Ohio Valley, protecting the king's land interests and fur trappers and French settlers. But the borderlands of this area were unclear and prone to dispute between the two countries. Washington, this is talking about George Washington, showed early signs of natural leadership. And shortly after Lawrence's death, that's his brother Lawrence, he died of tuberculosis, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, uh, shortly after Lawrence's death, Virginia's lieutenant governor, Robert Dinwiddie, appointed Washington adjutant with a rank of major in the Virginia militia. And so so he was essentially called upon to, to help rout the French out of these areas. Now, one of the other interesting facts about George Washington is he probably lost more battles than he had won. And so uh, uh, everything was heating up to this French and Indian War. In October 31st, 1753, Dinwiddie sent Washington to Fort LeBeouf at what is now Waterford, Pennsylvania, to warn the French to remove themselves from the land claimed by Britain. The French politely refused, and Washington made a hasty ride back to Williamsburg, Virginia's colonial capital, Dinwiddie sent Washington back with troops, and they set up a post at Great Meadows. Washington's small force attacked a French post at Fort Duquesne, killing the commander, uh, Colon de Jomonville, and nine others, and taking the rest prisoners. The French and the Indian War had begun. So, so the, the point is, here George Washington is at this very first battle of the French and the Indian War. Now, of course, we know that... Uh, the French counterattacked, and uh, you know Washington lost some battles. But eventually, uh, we do know that uh, the British did win. Um, you know the French and Indian War, and that was a that was a big step forward to really to establishing America. Um, certainly, after that, he was then um, George Washington was then made commander of the Virginia's troops, and uh, um, then. Uh, he did resign from that, and then eventually he was made commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. So essentially what you have here, and again, if we go back to Winston Churchill, remember Churchill's experience in World War One. I. I mean, Churchill, um, you know, th- there was the, the whole thing that, 
that happened with the Dardanelles, and and uh, you know it was just embarrassing for him. Well, George Washington experienced similar things, but that didn't stop him, and it didn't stop Winston Churchill. And in many ways, you can look at the, some of the history of George Washington, and again, I'm covering it very quickly here, but but you can see that he was learning and he was being trained so that by the time it came time for the big war or the Revolutionary War, he was really ready to go. Um, if, you, if you look at some of the things about him and, and hear this, this mental floss brings this out, is that, that uh, I'll just read to you what, the way they say it, but I have a different view of it. But, it's, but essentially, when, when George Washington was, was in these battles, and even in this, the French and Indian War, um, this was with uh, with Braddock. He was shot at. He was shot at four times, and the thing is, he was protected. And essentially, this is the way Menelaus says it. They say it in a funny way. This is number twenty. It says he was lucky, but his coat wasn't. And so I, I believe it's much different than that. I believe he was protected by God. But it says, in the Braddock disaster of 1755, Washington troops were caught in the crossfire between the British and Native American soldiers. Two horses were shot from under Washington, and his coat was pierced by four musket balls, none of which hid his actual body. So if you remember, you know, Churchill, even when he was in the trenches, you know, there was, uh, you know, missiles came in uh, to the trenches and uh, his friend was killed, and he was not. And so, so uh, uh, you know, th- there is there is something to be said, you know, about about George Washington and his protection. Now, I think it's it's also very interesting, um, and mental floss brings this out that George Washington was actually the only the only president to actually go into battle while serving as president. And so, so that's that's really another very interesting fact about his military career. And of course, this was much later than the French and Indian War. And what what was happening? Uh, and let me just read this to you from Mental Floss. It says, on September nineteenth, seventeen ninety four, George Washington became the only sitting U.S. president to personally lead troops in the field when he led the militia on a nearly month long march over the Allegheny Mountains to the town of Bedford. Now, I lived in the Allegheny Mountains. I've been in Bedford. Bedford is a great capital in Pennsylvania. We used to always go there in the fall to get apples. And so, so uh, but he did. He led troops into that, to that area. And so he's the only sitting president to have done that. Now, it's also interesting that if you understand him in terms of, of uh, you know, his military career is they... Uh, the, the, the uh, U.S. government appreciated him so much that even after his death, that they awarded him the highest rank for anyone in the U.S. military. Another one, no one, no army general will ever rank higher than George Washington. And I think that's interesting. Here's here's what the Air Force magazine says, and this is a quote from Mental Floss. It says, when Washington died, he was a lieutenant general. But as the centuries passed, this three-star rank did not seem commensurate with what, with what he had accomplished. After all, Washington did more than defeat the British in battle. 
Along the way, he established the framework for how American soldiers should organize themselves, how they should behave, and how they should relate to civilian leaders. Almost every big decision he made set a precedent. He was the father of the U.S. military as well as the U.S. itself. So a law was passed to make Washington the highest-ranking U.S. officer of all time, and this is his rank, General of the Armies of the United States. No one can ever outrank him. So uh, I, I think that's, that's really fascinating history. Well, now, as uh, it seems like it always happens to us, we are out of time for today's program. So what we'll do is next time we'll continue our discussion of George Washington founding father, and uh, we'll continue this introduction. And uh, uh, we, we will be using the book by Paul Johnson and some other sources. But remember, the third and final book in this series is Hero, The Life and Legend of Lawrence of Arabia. Now, that's quite a large book. You've probably already read, read George Washington, so you might want to start with that book and start now. You can find both books on Amazon. You can find used copies of the books at abebooks.com. Of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And remember, you can leave me a comment at Facebook. So, until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.